Good morning and greetings to each of you this morning. Last evening when I was milking, it was snowing quite hard. And so I thought, well, maybe if we come back here to McDowell, it'll be a white world. Uh, and we passed some vehicles on the way over here that had snow on them. So I don't know where it snowed, but obviously it didn't snow here. At least it didn't lay here. But it was a beautiful drive over here this morning, and we're happy to be here with you. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy Chapter 2 for a text this morning. I've entitled the sermon this morning, A Good Soldier of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read for, for the first four verses of 2 Timothy 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may, he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I'm sure many of you have been to Washington, D.C., and on the west side of the Potomac River, there's a hill there that um, years ago, many years ago, was owned by a man uh, by the name of John Parks Curtis. He was the son of Martha Washington. Um, she was married previously, and her husband died. Then later, she married uh, George Washington. It was a large estate. When this man, um, John, died, he gave it all to his son, George Washington Parks Curtis. I think it was around 2,000 acres, vast estate. This George Washington Curtis built a large mansion on that property, and he called it the Arlington House. He had a family, and uh, when his daughter grew up, she married a, a U.S. Army general named Robert E. Lee. You've all heard of Robert E. Lee. And they owned and lived on that property for a number of years. When the Civil War broke out, Robert E. Lee chose to join the Confederacy, and he had to abandon the property to go serve. His wife also left, and so they left the property. And as the Civil War went on and the casualties mounted, they needed a burial ground for all these uh, dead soldiers. And so that was the beginnings of a place that we know today as the Arlington Cemetery. And today, the Arlington Cemetery is the resting place for around 400,000 soldiers, and it continues to grow. People are still being buried in that today. In fact, one of our neighbors there in Mount Crawford was just buried there a year or two ago, and my parents were, were up for that funeral. Probably many of you have visited the Arlington Cemetery at some point and watched uh, the changing of the guard up on the uh, hill. There's a tomb, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, and the soldiers that guard that tomb are a very elite group of, um, in the military. In fact, I think over the many years, there's maybe only 600 that have, have received that, um, been in that number of, of, of uh, soldiers. They have to do extensive training and pass a series of very stringent tests to become a guard there at that tomb. And when I was somewhere between 16 to 18, uh, our family uh, got to know one of those guards through a mutual friend that, that knew the guards. His name was Derringer Fenton, and um, I have no idea where in the world he is today, but he came down and visited our farm, and we got to, to spend some time with him. And I don't remember much about him other than the fact that he drove a, a red Camaro, which he let me drive, and that I was amazed at the discipline and the training that those men had to go through to be a, a guard. It was, um, and, and I don't remember all the details, but I think they spend around six hours 
preparing their uniform for their service out on the mat. Six hours, and he told us about what it took to sh just shine their shoes. It was an incredible amount of time and diligence that they had to put into that. But not only that, but the tomb guards were required to memorize 35 pages of information about the Arlington National Cemetery and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. Tremendous amount of discipline and training that those men had to go through. And it was, as a young man, I was impressed with this, this young soldier. <clears throat> we live today in a nation that spends around $877 billion on its military. Our world, our, our nation is, in a sense, is obsessed with its military. But as non-resistant believers in Christ, we take a biblical stand against participating in warfare, physical warfare of this world. We believe that our primary allegiance is to, not to this earthly king, kingdom, it's to a heavenly kingdom. We believe our King Jesus, when he said, my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Jesus called his disciples to be part of his heavenly kingdom, not to take part in this earthly warfare. And so we take Jesus' command seriously when he says, resist not evil. But in, and so instead of fighting, we believe that we're called to love our enemies and we're called to pray for those that curse us and pray for those, bless those that curse us, and pray for those that despitefully use us. And I believe also we're called to follow in the steps of Jesus when he was willing, instead of defending himself when he stood trial, but rather he suffered willingly, and we're called to walk in his footsteps. Rather than take up arms, whether that's our nation's arms or the arms of self-defense, we're called to walk in his step footsteps. But today I want to think that we're talking about physical warfare, but there is a warfare that we are called to in Scripture. In 1 Timothy, first chapter, it says in verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. He's calling Timothy to wage a good warfare. And then later in 1 Timothy, in 6th chapter, he says, but you, O man of God, and I'm going to skip the next little phrase, but it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Paul is calling his son Timothy to wage a good warfare, to fight the good fight of faith. And that is not a carnal, that's not a physical warfare. It is a spiritual warfare that he's called him to, calling him to. In 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, though we have bodies and we have a physical uh, body, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul's saying here, we don't use guns and tanks and bombs. We don't fight on a battlefield with bodies and dirt and broken bones and carnage. We're called to a spiritual warfare, and that is a warfare that is waged in minds with ideas and philosophies and desires and beliefs. We are joining our King Jesus in his warfare against evil. And so we're not warriors in the outer sense. In other words, we don't put on armor and pick up a gun. But we are called to be a warrior in our inner man. So today I want to think about what does it mean for you and I to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? When Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, he was in Rome, and he was under house arrest there. And he wrote this letter, he wrote other letters, the letter to Ephesians. And so it would seem to be that Paul was there, and he had a, a guard, a Roman guard that was guarding the house. And I just imagine that that Paul was, as he was writing to Timothy and he was, as he was writing to Ephesians, he was looking up at this guard and he was just kind of checking him out. And I just want you to imagine that here's this young, strong, well-disciplined, well-armed Roman soldier. And as he was thinking about Timothy, his young son, he, there was something about that soldier that he wanted to see duplicated in his son Timothy, the discipline, the um, just the armor, and that's why he called him to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I believe the same Paul would say the same to you and I today. So when you think about who you are in your inner man, I want you to think of yourself as a warrior. Think about yourself as being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at three things that I believe are imperative for you and I to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that is we need to be well disciplined, we need to be well armed, and we need to be well fed. <clears throat> Let's look at the first one, well disciplined. In, this, in our text here in 2 Timothy, he calls him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 3 it says, You therefore must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that is the attitude that a soldier has to have when he goes into battle. He's not going to relax He's going into battle, and there he has to be willing to endure hard things. No real soldier, at least no good soldier, ever simply gave up because of the hardships that were coming. So the same is true that for us as believers, that 
If we're not going into our spiritual Christian lives expecting and preparing ourselves for hard things, we're probably going to give up. Life is, as a Christian is, is a wonderful life, but it's a hard life to, at times. You're going to face things that are very difficult. And so he calls us as good soldiers to endure hardness, endure the difficult times. In verse 4, he says, No man engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A soldier has to be willing to separate and give up the things of civilian life if he's to be a soldier. For the Roman soldiers of this day, they weren't allowed to have, um, to be, to own property and to be, have stores and to be at work. They were a soldier. That was what they were, that was what they were all about. And so for us to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to give up the things of this earth so that we can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to lay down our own selfish and carnal desires and be willing to serve in any way that God calls us to. You see, our goal and our purpose in life is to please our commander and to do what he wants. We have to give up things that would curtail and hinder our service to God. So in a sense, God is calling us here to deny ourselves and to live a life of crucifying our selfish desires. And to do that, we have to have some self-discipline and some self-control. There's things in life that you have to be willing to just say no to. Other people, may be, it may be okay for them to do them or have them, but as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, there's things you have to just say no to. Paul talked about self-discipline in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the, the, the good soldier of Jesus Christ must be disciplined. The, he needs self-restraint and moderation. He needs to be able to control his emotions and his desires and impulses. And he must have the power and the determination and the courage and commitment to say no to that which is sinful and, that, and yes to that which is holy. So as you think about this area as you think about yourself as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, are there areas in your life that you need to give up in order for you to be a good soldier? Are there things that's holding you back from being of real service to the king? They may even be legitimate things. They may be things that your other people are using or are okay with. But you need to be honest with your commander. Are the things that are holding you back? As a good soldier, we need to be disciplined. 
Second thing I'd like to consider is that as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you must be well-armed. I invite you to turn to Ephesians 6. Remember, Paul was under house arrest there in Rome when he wrote this. And I, again, I just imagine him seeing the soldier standing outside his door. But he wrote to the Ephesians and he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, that, that which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I'm not planning to go through the armor of God piece by piece, but I want to just challenge you to study that and to look at it and apply it to your life. You see, we have an enemy that is an expert at shooting fiery darts into our lives. Amen? He is an expert at it. And he, he, if we approach our Christian life unarmed, they will land in our minds and in our souls and do their destructive work. You know, too many Christians today look at this world we're in as a one great big playground. How can I have more fun? Looking for the next big pleasure. And they forget that we are in a war. Too many Christians today picture themselves just sauntering through life with t-shirts and flip-flops. And I'm not knocking t-shirts and flip-flops. But that's not the way we approach the Christian life. Paul is calling us to be dressed for action, to be armed. Paul is calling, calling us to be suited up for battle. You know, armor is an unnecessary thing, and it's cumbersome, it, unless you're in a battle, and then you have to have it. Warriors have to be armed and equipped. Good armor makes all the difference in the world. Alexander the Great was, is considered to be one of the greatest military strategists and leaders in world history. And in just 13 years, he conquered most of the known world from Greece to India. An amazing feat because they traveled basically by one foot. <clears throat> but historians say that it was in large part due to how he 
dressed and equipped his armies. For example, he made sure they had good footwear and so they were able to endure long marches at incredible speeds. One writer described their shoes as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails so as to ensure a good grip. So I don't know what they look like, but he made sure his soldiers were well armed and well dressed. So I just want to challenge you today. How do you view yourself? Do you see the importance of the armor of God? As Christians, we need to be dressed. We need to be on alert. We need to be on guard. You need to daily, by faith, put on the armor of God. A good soldier of Jesus Christ must be well-armed. The last thing I want to look at is that a good soldier of Jesus Christ must be well-fed. The military recognizes the importance of nutrition for its troops. This is according to the National Library of Medicine. Nutrition and the military are fundamentally entwined. Without regular supply of food and water, no army can hope or expect to successfully prevail in its principal role, war fighting. Appropriate food in terms of both quality and quantity and adequate hydration are required to ensure that the physical capacity and mental performance of military personnel remain at optimum levels. Nutrition is a major contributor to the wound healing process in those who are injured, as well as influencing their subsequent recovery and rehabilitation. Excuse me. All of you know the importance of a good diet to maintain physical health. If you're going to keep your body healthy and strong, you got to eat right, right? It's so important. When you don't eat right or when you're sick, you feel weak and you can't do the work that you're called to do. But good health and good food gives us the strength to be able to function properly. And the same is very true of our inner man, of our inner warrior. If we're not feeding ourselves well, we won't have the strength that we need to do what we're called to do. The inner man will be weak, will be susceptible to any temptation or trial that comes our way. Something pops up on your phone and you're weak in your inner man, what's, what are you going to do? You'll give right into it. So the question is, how do you feed that inner man? How do you take care of that inner man? Everybody knows how to eat food and eat a good meal, right? We're good, we're pros at that. But what about taking care of that inner man that's within you? How is the inner man strengthened? If you don't remember anything, except for this, just remember this phrase, quality time with God is what strengthens your inner man. Quality time with God strengthens your inner man. And so I wanna just give some very practical things that have helped me in this area of feeding my inner man, taking care of the inner man. <clears throat> First one is you need a time. 
You need a time of day when you take time aside to take care of this feeding that you need to do. I would strongly encourage you to do it in the mornings, but I'm kind of a morning guy, so you might be an evening person and you're good to go at evenings. If I sit down and try to read it at night, I just, I just fall asleep. So it doesn't work for me. But some of you are, are evening people, and if that works for you, that's great. But mornings work best for me. So make sure that there's a time of day where you set aside for time with God. You need a place. You need to figure out a place. I know some of you are busy dads, some of you are busy moms. You need to figure out a place where you can get away for a little bit. And maybe you can't entirely get away, but find a place where there's as few distractions as possible. It's hard sometimes, but get alone with God. You need that time. You need to feed that inner man. Third thing is you, not, you need a position. And you may wonder, well, what, what does position have to have, it, have to do with it? You know, you can, you can spend time with God laying down or sitting up or kneeling, whatever. Well, I do think position matters. I think we need to come before God with a reverence. I'm, don't read your Bible laying in your bed. Now, there's nothing essentially wrong with that, but I don't think it helps us in staying alert. Sit up. And um, find a position that leads you into a reverential worship of God. And while I'm talking about position, we'll talk about prayer just a little bit later. But when you pray, do you kneel? Now, probably you do. Sometimes you probably kneel and other times you don't. But I encourage you when you can and when it's appropriate to kneel. There's something about kneeling before God that helps us to see our, who we are before him. And we need that reminder that we come to God just as mere humans. And he is the great and high and holy God. So I encourage you to kneel when you come to God just as a reminder of who you are. The fourth thing is you need a plan. You need a plan for taking in God's word. Use a Bible plan of some kind. Maybe read through the Bible chapter by chapter. I know a man, that was his method. He, he started in Genesis and he'd go to Revelations, chapter a day. We're taking about three years. That's kind of slow in my mind. But that worked for him. He was a great man of God. I like to often read through the Bible in a year. Um, it just works pretty good. You get a good dose of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I like to do that. This year I'm not doing that. I've got a plan that it's the Bible in, every, in two years. So it's a little slower, which is kind of nice because I'm able to read it a little more meditatively. Um, but get a plan that works for you and just read through the whole Word of God. Don't just get stuck on one section. And don't use the lucky dip method. Y'all know what the lucky dip method is? The lucky dip method is you just flip it open to whatever and you read, you know, maybe First Chronicles 16 today and then Ezekiel 27. You just don't get the context of, of the, what it's trying to say. 
So get a plan that reads through the scripture. So you need a plan. Number five, you need time to ponder. And boy, is this hard to take time to ponder. You know, we're glad if we just get our Bible reading done for the day, right? But what about time to meditate and to ponder on what we read? We're just so in a rush, right? But give yourself some time to just ruminate. And you can do that as you go about your day and work and wash the dishes or whatever you're doing that day. But there's, there's something good about just sitting quiet before the Lord and giving time for the word to just soak in and to ponder. And then, of course, you need to pray. And I believe that for me in my life, this is where it's, it's really hard to just spend the time needed in prayer to get before God, <clears throat> to have an active and meaningful time of prayer. You see, prayer is direct communication between us and our commander as a warrior. We have to have that time. We're powerless without it. That time of prayer develops our relationship with him and it cultivates our dependence on him as our father. Quality time with God is one of those things that is hard to maintain on a consistent and long-term basis. But it is absolutely essential if we're going to take care of our inner man. We have to have that time alone with God. And Satan knows well that that is the area that if he can get you in, he can render you basically powerless. So he will attack you in this area. So be on guard for his assault. In conclusion, I believe that God has provided all the resources that you need to be a well-disciplined, well-armed, and well-fed soldier of Jesus Christ. The question is whether you and I will take hold and use what he's provided. So I just want to leave you with some challenges. Are there areas in your life where you are lacking in discipline and you need, there may be areas where you need to get rid of some things that are holding you back from truly serving the Lord and being a good soldier? Are there areas of selfishness that you need to cut out of your life? Are there areas where you're not applying the armor of God, and so you're susceptible to the enemy's attacks? And are you feeding on the right things and of sufficient quantity that you can be a strong warrior for God? So my encouragement to you is to go forth and to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ this week. Let's have a prayer, or let's have a song. Master the tempest. Master the tempest.